1: Hello, you're very welcome to this week's podcast, Irish Nurses in Wartime. I'm Maurice O'Keefe, and I've been very fortunate to have had the opportunity to record the memories and stories of three remarkable women who volunteered to join the British Armed Forces during World War II. Maura Murphy. I was in the
0: QA's, the Queen Alexandria Service. Deirdre de Bourgh. I was there during D-Day, see, we were, we were a casualty clearing station. And Meehan. The prisoners of war, and I, they
2: were all allowed to go to the dancers. All of whom showed incredible
1: courage and bravery under dreadful conditions. And later in this podcast, you will hear a daughter's story of her mother's
3: nursing duties during the Great War. And she said, Anna, it was so horrific. She said, the gassing, the gassing was the worst. It was just terrible to see these young men. And we really couldn't do anything for them because none of us had the experience of dealing with gas.
1: So let's get started. I first met Maura Murphy in the Windmill Nursing Home in Churchtown, North Cork, in 2019. And she starts by telling me about her school days.
4: Home was Mallow. Originally, I went to the National School in Mallow, and then I went on to the Earthlands in Cork. They had a boarding school, which is not there anymore. What sports did you play? Tennis and hockey. I was good. Oh, I was on every team. Were you? Oh, I was, yeah. And then we went to Dublin a couple of times for the All-Ireland.
1: And Maura decided to do nursing, and she entered St. Vincent's Teaching Hospital in Dublin.
4: It was Vincent's? Uh, yeah, that's yeah, where that's... I trained. I spent. I was offered a place, which is a great honour. And uh, the army came up. I wanted to travel, and um, I applied to the army.
1: At the outbreak of war, Maura decided to join the nursing section in the British Army.
4: I was in the QA's, the Queen Alexandria Service, that was the nursing service during the wars. We wore a grey uniform and a huge white veil, which is a bloody nuisance in the tropics, can you imagine?
1: Maura was to spend much of the war in a military hospital in Lagos when they were evacuating the troops there. But before that, her duties were in a sanatorium hospital in Surrey, where she looked after the TB patients and German prisoners of war.
4: There were an amount of Irish nurses in the British Army, but then we worked on the wards. You see there were all these TB patients needing care and all the other patients, and you had all those bombings and everything in London. Yeah. So it was. It, it must. Sorry, actually, was where we bad. Yeah.
1: And sorry. Yeah. Yes.
4: But it, it your first
1: exp- uh, uh, views of of the war must have been really bad. You know, to to see all these uh, uh, buildings after being bombed, as you say. Oh,
4: terrible, terrible. Oh. And equipment, of course, was terribly scarce. You know, even down to syringes. How easy was it to adapt and... Well, you see, when you're young, you're meant to learn. It was all a process of learning, really. And we were very lucky in that the very good, usually there weren't very good doctors in the army, so they said. And um, But they all had to do their two years so that was a great benefit to us because a lot of them came from the top hospitals and it was terribly interesting to talk to them.
1: Oh, yes, and uh, yeah. th- what they would pass on to exactly. you. Exactly.
4: We were doing looking after TB patients in England and they had German prisoners of war yes. there. And um, they used to be mopping the floors and they were working from day to night. And uh, I used to see all this beautiful sermon being thrown out because of TB patients. Not thrown out, but fed to some other place. So uh, I queried one of them and he told me. And I said, what diet? How's your diet? Why is that appalling? And they were huge men. So I used to keep back some of the salmon after lunch that the patients didn't eat. Of course, these men were delighted to eat it. Of course. Yeah, but when the nurses leaked the news to me, to the matron, I was reported. So I thought I was never going to see anywhere. Next thing was home. (laughs) So anyway, I was reported to the colonel. And who was the colonel from Charlottesville? <laughs> and he knew my family. Oh, I see. He was the doctor there. And he said, well, for God's sake, stop it. He said, you'll get me into trouble as well as yourself. Well, no, I said, to be quite honest with you, I couldn't see people hungry and food being give, given away like that. Of so course. I stayed I had them on duty then. It was their fault. I used to have one an appointment to watch the doors when they were going to lunch.
1: <laughs> Did you make friends easy with... Uh, Very easily, yes. Yeah.
4: yes. With the uh, Scottish, the Welsh nurses and the uh,
1: yeah
4: English. <clears throat> yeah, But of course, some of the nurses got help and they'd lost brothers and that in the war. And some of them were very young and very bitter about it. Were they? Oh, yes. But, you see, they didn't understand, or they hadn't matured. I don't know what it was. Often when I'd be, we'd be doing dressings, now people very badly burned. Mm-hmm. I remember one day I just couldn't stick it, and I asked the nurse to leave. She was ripping off the bandages, and the whole man was burned. It desperate. I said to her, just go. I'll do it. It'll take me longer. But I said I couldn't. Yeah. Because he was German. Oh, I see. She wouldn't, well, an Irish but an English person wouldn't take it from her, you see. Yeah.
1: Mm. Wasn't, that, you know, it, it, so witnessing all this and, yes. and seeing how, uh, in a way, how badly treated German prisoners were, it seemed to be.
4: Well, not really because they were... Only the few, like yeah. I did not know anything about the general thing.
1: Okay. Mm. And the kind of injuries uh, that you were treating, um, oh, the, massive, soldier, the soldiers' injuries—they yeah. they must have been really bad. Oh,
4: horrific! Yeah. yeah.
1: And did it open your eyes to to how how destructive war?
4: Oh, it did absolutely, and does it. um, you resolve nothing they still have to sit around a table they were evacuating the troops from the various places and um, we thought we might get South Africa we were very disappointed thank God we never got it and um, we got West Africa so it took us three weeks by boat to go to West Africa, before we had to go to the uh, School of Tropical Medicine to do tropical medicine. Where? In London. Did you? Have- I got malaria and uh, the other thing, the bald thing. But you couldn't escape it. But you got over it. There were tablets. You, you were put on malaria tablets before you ever went out, and provided you took your tablets. I had no problems. I did get it, but I got over it. But yeah. some people who didn't take their tablets... Oh, yes, if the yellow tablet, Meppocrine, was the first one. And it thir- turned your skin yellow. And, of course, we were young and very conscious of our looks, with all those men around us.
1: And th- and this was to prepare you to go abroad Exactly,
4: then. exactly.
1: Yes. So when you headed off, now tell me about that, uh, that trip. <laughs> oh, so there was a
4: trip and a half. We were called to West Africa. And uh, West Africa was a three-weeks journey yeah. on the boat. But uh, And we nursed the patients. You see, there were still patients going out.
1: How was that? Why was that?
4: I don't know. They were better, I suppose, recovered. recovered. yes. And they'd probably been there already, although usually malaria was the main disease there at that time. It was appalling. I'll never forget to talk about primitive. When you got off the boat, you had to jump from here to there. And there was a dip. I don't know how much. There were two men there waiting to catch you anyway. You could see crocodiles and all sorts of things existed in the water. If you fell into the water, you wouldn't come out of it.
1: Moria was stationed in a British military hospital in Lagos.
4: Well, it was a big hospital yeah. run by the British very efficiently, with a lot of bed patients and all the rest of it. Yeah, but Burns and all those kind of things, with the airmen and all those, you see, would be badly burnt in plane crashes. And we'd have to deal with them and dress their backs and all the rest. But it
1: was a real adventure, wasn't it?
4: Oh, absolutely. And like if we had to take a patient down to the train now for the plane, it would take us two days or two nights on the train and a day. Yeah. On a narrow seat in the train. Can you imagine trying to do dressings and that? was dreadful and often to his broken limbs, which made it even more difficult.
1: yeah, you saw a lot of pain and suffering in I did, time.
4: but great satisfaction too. I was walking down the street in Chester, and I felt somebody tapping me on the shoulder, and he was a man that I had brought home from Africa. Or, you know, as far as the boat, when I say brought home, down to the boat. And they never thought he'd survive. And there he was walking along. Well, you know, that was wonderful because he had no hope, really.
1: When the war was over, Maura continued to work in the medical field uh, in a hospital in London where she looked after patients who needed skin care. You, um, did you pack your bags
4: then and go? I, um, no, I was, um, I came home for a while, yes, and this lady was doing a very medical treatment of patients, particularly those who had been badly scarred and their skin had to be remade and um, re. Fixed, you know. There were new faces and all that. And she did it purely from a medical point of view. She's a doctor, a physiotherapist, a specialist, and um, on her staff. And she was a very interesting woman. And where, where was she? In London, in Sloan
1: Street. In 2014, while working on an oral history project, I met Deirdre de Burgh at her home in Nace. And she first spoke to me about her childhood.
0: But that's all, all Old Town and the waterfall. And that's the little cottage at me and my mother, the garden house.
1: Deirdre had many happy memories of growing up in Old Town House, which was situated near Nace in County Kildare.
0: grew up there. I mean, it was... Yeah, I was there till I was 18. See, e- e- has changed unbelievably now.
1: Old Town House was burnt down in 1955, accidentally.
0: That's Old Town as it now is, you see. You see, Old Town originally was built in, th- in th- three blocks, but luckily the money ran out before they built the centre. Otherwise we would have ended up like Rusborough or something like that. But in Trudeburg fashion, the money ran out, so that was a huge relief, I'm told. <laughs> in
1: 1942, during the height of the war, Deirdre went to England and trained in St. Thomas's Hospital as a nurse.
0: 1942, I went to England during the war and trained as a nurse in St. Thomas's Hospital. And that's where I was for 20 years your work, of course, you were totally dedicated to your work. Well, honestly. I did it. I loved it, yeah.
1: She was then moved to the Nightingale Training School on Westminster Bridge when it was badly damaged during the bombing.
0: It known as the Nightingale Training School and it was on Westminster Bridge, T- totally bombed. So we just... They just had wards, one male and one female ward, (laughs) down in the basements. And we were all evacuated to Chertsey.
1: Deirdre remembers the evacuation to Chertsey, south of London, and managing a casualty station for D-Day there.
0: See, I was there during D-Day, you see. We were were a casualty clearing station in Chertsey for D-Day. So that was a tremendous... And then we were also when the Guards Chapel was bombed. You see, we had all those casualties, so we we got a lot of tail end of the war, so to speak. Uh, you see, it, it was amazing casualty clearing station because we. It, it, I worked in the theatre at that time, and you just worked for eight hours on and four hours off until all your until you. They always then go up to the north of England somewhere. It's completely different nowadays.
1: But it must have been like living in hell, you know, when you saw all those people coming in, missing limbs, and you know, it 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 must have been dreadful.
0: Well, you see, all the first dresses were done on the beaches, so to speak. Yeah. So you've just got your. Your share, yeah. You
1: know. And uh, when you look it back...
0: Was, it was very hard to come back to civilian nursing.
1: Because you were mixing with desks so often, I mean, you were watching young men die in front of you. You
0: see, when you... Particularly D-Day, you see, you, you dealt with them all in the theatres. And then they all went up to the north of England somewhere yeah and you had to deal with prisoners of war, you've seen everything, so you... I used to laugh when the, when the flying bombs are going over. And I had a night nurse. she was very funny. She used, to, she used to say, "Go around and wake all the buggers up and they can be as frightened as we are. That's as far as we got. Well, that was the kind of attitude. He, yeah. yes. he used to have great laughter because they they always used to say, "Ah, she's Irish, poor thing. She can't help it." You know that was the And they all they all thought you had if you came from Ireland, you had to be Roman Catholic, full stop. You see, people had very limited knowledge at that time.
1: Did you feel proud of the fact that you were Irish?
0: Oh you were always very proud to be Irish, but you were equally when you were in, in England you were more Irish than the Irish and when you were in Ireland you were more English than the english <laughs> you know there was, there was because all your family <laughs> were in the in the forces
1: yeah um so i mean yours. It it, it it didn't change you as a person yeah I don't you, think
0: so yeah, yeah. You were just permanently permanently tired, but that was you were used to it, yeah. yeah.
1: Deirdre continued to work at St Thomas' Hospital in London for the next 20 years until she decided to come back to Ireland.
0: I worked my way up.
1: In the hospital?
0: Yeah, so I was a ward sister, a unit sister, yeah.
1: To me, uh, it sounds like you were totally dedicated to your work. Oh, yes.
0: Uh, we did it because we loved it, yeah. They wrote to, they wrote to me and said, "What? A, why don't you apply for the Adelaide? Because my mother was a widow by then, and, and she wasn't coping terribly well. I
1: see.
0: And, and so I applied for the Adelaide, and, I, and for some extraordinary reason I got it, because I was basically much too young. But anyhow... That's how I came back to Ireland, in 1962,
1: I think. Anne Mehan was born in 1921 in England. Her mother was Mary O'Connor, who came from the Gap of Dunlow in Killarney. And Anne spent much of her childhood days there. I met Anne in Beneven Nursing Home in Glasnevin, and I first asked her about her background.
2: I'll start from the beginning I'm in England with my mother and my mother loved to she loved to come back home to Kerry you see
1: Anne's mother had cousins in Cable Street and she would spend some time with them bringing her daughter to the train and sending her and her bike all the way down to Killarney to spend the rest of the summer
2: you see to get from Nottingham to Kerry you really want to break in between. So we used to say about a week in Dublin, and I'd say with the, the one in Cable Street. And then uh, when the week was up, they brought me to the station and put me on the train. Oh, I had my bicycle at one stage. I brought my bicycle over. And they put the bicycle of me and everything on the train. And down on the train with were to Kerry, and someone met me then at the station in Killarney. It was very adventurous, really, yeah. in a way. And then you see I had all these cousins up in the mountains. The Gap The Gap That was the Gap of Batty O'Connor, isn't it? Yeah, Batty
1: O'Connor. Oh, I yeah,
2: see, yeah. Yeah. In 1939,
1: Anne was called up at the outbreak of war and did her nursing training during the war.
2: You were just um, brought into the war. They were looking for nurses. I was in the Leicester Hospital. You see, there were two hospitals in Leicester. There was the Royal and the um, the Infirmary. Uh,
1: And how bad... What are your memories of that? How bad were they?
2: Well, they weren't bad at all, really. I mean, uh, I didn't know any different. uh, You just went... But did, did the jobs the soldiers you to do, and that was
1: that. And the soldiers, when they, they were convalescing and coming back?
2: Well, they were soldiers of war, and uh, the, the prisoners of war, and I mean, they were all allowed to go to the dancers. And uh, they were very good dancers, the Polish fellows. Oh, I see, yeah. But they didn't seem to be that restrictive, you know, they didn't keep them behind iron bars, you know. They didn't seem to want to run away anywhere. Well, They'd know where to go. That's
1: true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: they'd know where to go anyway. When
1: was this photograph taken? 1946.
2: And who's in it? That's myself, Joan Hackett and and um, Anne Meehan. It was taken in Leicester, yeah. But what I'm trying to explain to you, see that photograph up there? Yes. I'd better get up and show you. Okay. I mean... Joan is in. Now you see this one that's with me. Uh, now where am I? Tell oh, me I was, about I was only looking after that a few minutes. That, that's You see, you see that one there. Yeah.
1: Uh, the tall lady in the back. Back. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I, this is the. Um,
1: oh, this is you? A, this is you.
2: This is me being presented with the uh, Nurse of the Year.
1: Nurse of the Year? Nurse of the Year. Oh, my goodness. And who's the man presenting he, it to he's you? He's
2: a counsellor. Why were you picked out as the Nurse of the Year? Well, I suppose that the, what, whatever the reports come back from the ward. Suppose you were an efficient nurse. Suppose you were a competent nurse. And
1: yeah. so which hospital was that in? It was
2: Leicester. Leicester, Leicester Hospital. hospital yeah. And
1: is that where the soldiers were treated after the war? Is that where they come? Kind of oh, yes, yeah, that's
2: right, yeah. So yeah. you
1: were attending to all yeah, the... Yeah, we were
2: attending to all the... Well, if you want to tell me a little bit about soldiers, would you just sit down?
1: I will, of course. I'd love to hear that story. Yeah. Anne found it very difficult to talk about the awfulness of her duties during the D-Day evacuations. So I asked her son, John, who was present with us during the recording session. Um, she basically finished her surgical training, and what happened was they sent trains down to the south coast. So when the the men invaded the beaches, they took the casualties off and took them back in the convoys to England. And then they put them on these triage trains where they sorted out the casualties in terms of what they could do for people. And then they brought them to different parts of the country. So she was part of the triage, nursing on the trains in terms of, as the casualties were taken off the boats coming back from Normandy, they would work out what they could do for them and who they might have to leave to die and who they might operate on.
2: You see, what happened was, um, I was um, left school at 15, I was in dressmaking. And I uh, worked in a place called Carlisle and Meekins. I think they're still there in Nottingham, actually, around about the middle of Nottingham. I think they're still there. And then, of course, we were called up for for, 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 the, for the army. That was the time of the rent, yeah. And, um, well, I suppose um, whatever had to be done with a patient, I suppose, in... They have to have some treatment, you know. Um, How
1: badly wounded were they? Well,
2: they might have been shot or wounded or, you know, he yeah. was trying to correct some, or to, to ease their life a little bit instead of becoming a complete invalid. Unbelie- you see a lot of people in in deck chairs, rest chairs or whatever, and everybody pushing them around.
1: Mary Savage was born into a military family from County Antrim. Her father, Colonel Richard Savage, and his daughter Mary both served in World War I. Mary drove an ambulance for St. John's Ambulance, and she was based in Rouen in France. I met Mary's daughter Honor Lee at her home in Bandon in West Cork in 2014, where her mother had been living until she died. I first spoke to Honor about her mother's background.
3: My mother's fa- family are savages from Savage of Ards, from County Antrim. And um, her father had retired from India, and he was in the Third Kirkus, and came back in 1911. And they knew that the First World War was going to be coming. So he was asked to raise the Royal Irish Rifles, and trained them in County Down. And um, when World War I broke out, <laughs> he was then asked to take them out. And um, they were lads from all over the country, young, good, honest lads. And they even came from Banton because my, my father-in-law said he remembered trainloads of lads going out to join the First World War.
1: So just sitting over by the window... That's where your mother would sit, she in would. this room.
3: She would. When
1: you spoke to your mother, what did she say? What did she say about the war?
3: Well, at the beginning, they thought the war was a bit of a joke. They'd go out, <coughs> have a nice time, um, be over by the end of the summer, and they'd come home, all a bit of, bit of a gas, as we would say nowadays. It was all a bit of fun, and we would be back by Christmas. But um, she went to um, uh, St. John's Ambulance. She had to drive the ambulances. And she said that was hilarious because none of them had driving licences, but yet you were told to go off and drive an ambulance. And what did you know about it? But if the key turned, you might be all right, but probably you needed somebody to crank it in front. (laughs) (laughs) When it came to a puncture, you threw up your hands and said, it's yours, mate. <laughs> I mean, she was tremendous with some of, the, some of her description of, of it. But um, she said that the... Um, she said some of the this tragedy was always sort of upon them in a, in a terrible way and the inadequacy of what they had to, um, as regards bandages, there was no such thing as antiseptic, so it was salt. (laughs) Um, You know, Dettol was gone. It might be there for a short time, but it was gone. I don't know if there was Dettol then. But um, salt was the main thing. And um, later on, we, we learnt that there was this very good ointment which was made from local produce, which was used in the Crimean War for horses and for the wounded soldiers. And I have the recipe now which has been handed down to me. And it's absolutely a wonderful, wonderful recipe.
1: I see, because they would ha- have to literally learn on mm-hmm. their feet as they as, as they, they went, went along, along. How, how to do things. Yeah. But was she there since the beginning, in 1914?
3: No, no, she was there from 16, 16, 17. No, she was there three years. Yeah, she was there till the end, 16, 17, 18, yes yeah, So she was there three years. And she said, oh, no, it was so horrific. She said, the gassing, the gassing was the worst. It was just terrible to see these young men and we really couldn't do anything for them because none of us had the experience of dealing with gas. And um, she said it was awful. She said, I can't talk to you about it. And I remember saying to her, Mum, you must tell me because you're taking it to the grave with you. We want to know just from the history point of view. And she just shook her head at me. And, um, of course, she fell in love with a lovely, <coughs> lovely officer and he was killed in the last few days of the war, which, again, was... More heartbreak. But she said there was an awful lot of heartbreak all around you. We have... Um, she said when they were in Ypres, and um, the whole place was completely devastated. And um, she said what was so awful was this... Not alone were the people killed in such awful manner, but it was all the horses and... Um, I mean, there were an awful lot of Irish horses who left this country, who went there, and um, many stories have been written about um, the war horse. But she said the, the Irish horses, they were just tremendous. She had this one charger which she was able to ride, and um, he just sort of hitch up behind any old ditch for, and wait for you while you, the salvo of uh, bombs went over. And um, you get on and ride and try and ride out of it.
1: Because I suppose we don't realise that uh, you know to get around uh, it, it, it was on horseback. It was know. on was horseback, it
3: yes. It was, and it was so muddy. And you know, your only hope was was a horse or a mule. And she said the mules were um, absolutely marvellous as well. What they put up with.
1: She was there for the Battle of the Somme. She
3: was there for the Somme, and she said it was. Absolutely awful because her her father was to lead the charge and um, they were all told what time they were going. And there was a breakdown in the um, telegraph system and um, most of the regiment had gone over the top but there was one battery which were to follow slightly later which was my my grandfather. And
1: um, It would have been her father
3: Which was her, her father yes. Which was Henry Savage And he was waiting for the call to go over the top With the adjutant and a handful of officers and men And they never got it So that was the reason mm. why he survived um, He was heartbroken Because he felt he'd left his men down But what had happened was There was a bomb And it blew up the um, telegraph system so he never got the word to go over the top. He he was Colonel Savage, and he was to to lead lead the charge.
1: And he was a very important. Uh, I suppose his his command was was everything. You know, yes, his command everything. was everything. Yeah. But, but did your mother say something about that the the generals weren't exactly? Yeah, uh,
3: the generals the best? were in, were incompetent. Did she say that? Yeah, she said the generals were incompetent. They were still sort of fighting the, you know, the Crimean War or the Boer War, forgetting that this was totally different type of yeah. war, and um, it was the only the younger men who realised that the tactics would have to change, but they couldn't do anything till they changed the top, which was the generals. Yes, but, but you see, if they only had the younger men who could see the difference of what they had to do
1: was there any communication between your grandfather and then your mother? You know.
3: Yeah, they, 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 there was. He, um, he was very concerned about her, um, but she was in Rouen. The um, hospitals were in Rouen, um, and the, the front was, the Somme was, what, 50 miles away? Yeah. <coughs> so once they were able to come up nearer, they were, the hospitals became more efficient. But the hospitals were actually too far away because the, the line of um, the wall to get the wounded back due to bad conditions and uh, transport breaking down and the mud. She always talked about the mud. The mud was absolutely appalling. But she said that it was... It was only the horses and the mules that these unfortunate soldiers could get back, the wounded could get get back on. My mother said that um, towards the end, when she was there for three years, and she'd have time off and come back to the north of Ireland, and um, she said the main thing was to have a bath and look sort of clean.
1: (laughs) Well, we've come to the end of this week's podcast, Irish Nurses in Wartime. For more information on our oral history projects, visit our website, that's www.irishlifeandlore.com. I'm Maurice O'Keefe, and I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week.